Amen. Praise the Lord. We're blessed. One of the greatest privilege that we have as Christians is to be able to call God our Father. It's one of the greatest honors and privileges of Christianity. God Almighty, the great God, the creator God, the awesome God, the fearful and terrible God, the God who is a consuming fire, the God who speaks and stars are formed, the God who holds the sand of the sea bed in his hand and hollows out the oceans and puts everything in place, the God who creates every sunrise and sunset, the God who made everything that is made is our God, but he's also our Father. What does that mean? It means we can have a very personal and intimate relationship with the greatest being and the greatest power that there is, and that's God Almighty. Fifty-three times in the New Testament, Jesus calls God, quote, my Father. Fifty-three times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to the Almighty God as his Father. Twenty-one times in the New Testament, Jesus referred to God as our Father. So the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ has now become our Father. And Jesus began declaring him to be so before Jesus ever went to the cross. It was a statement of faith. But when Jesus is, it begins to tell us uh, how to pray, and you know, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray because they observed that Jesus was always praying. He's always talking to somebody up there. And when they were taught, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, they, they were actually saying, Lord, we covet this relationship that you have between yourself and the Almighty God. We, we want that intimacy. Amen. We want access. And you know, up until then, throughout all of history, since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, man has not had direct access to God. There were occasional times throughout this history where God would uh, speak to men and God would appear to men in some form, but these men, these men were set apart and they were specially called for special purposes, but the general population had no access. Even in, even in worship, when they'd go to the tabernacle or the temple, uh, they, could only, they could only have a representative go into the presence of God. You know, the priest. And he only once a year. Only once a year, they would choose the priest they thought was the cleanest and holiest. They would tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it. And they would send him 
passed that veil into the Holy of Holies to represent them and to offer sacrifices for the sins of the nation. But they couldn't go in there themselves. And he was so afraid, they were so fearful that he might not be worthy that they had to tie this rope around his ankle so if the bell stopped ringing, they could drag him out dead. Now, I don't know of any occasion where they actually had to do that, but there might have been. There was always that possibility, and if you were elected to go in there, I'm sure you went in there with fear and trepidation because, you know, this rope around your leg means something, something could go wrong. Amen. And then all they could do is offer a temporary sacrifice that would only uh, uh, hold off God's judgment for another year. But every year they had to go in and repeat the process. There was no access to the God of heaven except through these means. And even Moses and, and Elijah and the other prophets uh, were unable to just go, go and come anytime they wanted to. Moses had to go, he had to go up on a mountain and get up in a dark cloud that was dark and booming and lightning flashing continually. Took some nerve. You know, the people of Israel were afraid to even approach that mountain. And Moses, you know, God called him to come up the mountain. So he goes up the mountain and, and they don't see him for a long time. Matter of fact, he was gone so long, they thought he'd, he was dead. And so they began, to, they began to just act like there was no God, which is hard to believe because the mountain's still there, the cloud's still there, the lightning is still there, you know. And, but then they, they start worshiping Baal again. They start worshiping their old Egyptian gods again until Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments in his hand. And it, was, it, was a, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience for them that day. Many of them died. And, uh, but, you know, even Moses had to be called into God's presence. And when he said, I want to see you, I want to see you, your glory, God says, you can't, you can't see me in my fullness, you'll die. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll hide you into this, this, this little cave, this hollowed out cleft in the rock, I'll hide you in there with my hand, and when I pass by you, when my goodness passes before you, I'll let you look at me after I've passed. In other words, you, you, can, you can look at my back. And so, when God passed by that little cave, he moved his hand, and Moses was able to look out of the cave, and he saw God's back as God's going away. That one little glimpse of God caused... Moses to glow like he was radioactive. And when he came off the mountain, they had to put a sack over his head because his face shined so bright they couldn't look at it. It was like a big halogen lamp. And they had to cover it up. And it remained so for a long time. And every time Moses went out in public, he had to wear a, he had to wear a, a, a sack over his head. Like... We used to do it Halloween. You know, you cut a little hole for the eyeballs. I'm telling you, the presence of God is an awesome thing. And man was not equipped or able or worthy to just walk into God's presence. 
But when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says <laughs> that that veil in the temple, the moment Jesus gave up the, his spirit, commended his spirit into the Father's hands, the moment Jesus' spirit left his body, and there was a great earthquake, and that veil in the temple ripped in half from the top to the bottom, just ripped in half, and whoever was standing there in the temple at that time could look into the Holy of Holies for the first time. And I'll guarantee you that rattled their cage. That torn veil, that rent veil, was a, a, a testimony, a, a supernatural divine testimony to all men everywhere that we have now, through the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, we have now been granted access into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. And now he's our father. Now we can approach him boldly at any time. Can you say praise the Lord? Why? Because he's ours. Look in Matthew 6, 9. This is, this is Jesus telling them how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. <laughs> if you want to read the Lord's Prayer, you've got you to go to a different chapter. Anybody know where you find the Lord's Prayer? The prayer Jesus prayed? Anybody, anybody know where that prayer is? Nobody knows. Well, wild guess there, girl. Somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> I'll let you look it up. But that's where Jesus is praying in the garden. And he's praying for us, by the way. That's the real Lord's Prayer. This prayer is the prayer Jesus gave to us. This is our prayer. Everybody say, it's our prayer. It's our prayer. And here's, our, here's how our prayer begins. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Now, in modern English, Jesus is saying, I want you to pray like this. First words out of your mouth, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Y'all know this. Y'all know this. This is sung at weddings. This is sung at funerals. This is, this, is a, this is a prayer that most people have heard at least sometime. I mean, you know, if you've ever watched a, a state funeral on TV, you've heard this prayer. It's either sung or read or said. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts off with a, a confession of ownership. Our. Our is a word that means it's mine. It's ours. It belongs to us. Whatever follows this word our... Uh, is, 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 is our property, our belonging, like our house. Welcome to our house. You don't say, welcome to the mortgage company's house. Right? You say, welcome to our house, because you're claiming it as your own. And this, this prayer... The prayer Jesus told us to pray begins with you claiming the Heavenly Father as your Father. Amen. It's a collective word. Our means we share Him. We share Him with others. Amen. And we can all know Him. We can all know Him. 
We can come into relationship with him. He's got a big family. Praise God. How many of you grew up in a, you, you, were, you were only a numbered child in a big family? How many of you? Oh, yeah. There were five kids in my family. I was number two. That don't sound good. I wasn't number one, so I didn't get the spankings that he got. I was smart enough to learn from his mistakes and be sneakier. Amen. And, uh, but there were five of us kids in our family. But my, our daddy was, we shared him. I, 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 I didn't own him all to myself. And it was a special moment when I could get him off where it's just me and him. And I, and I, I, would, I would find these opportunities. And, and when, I, when it was just me and my daddy and my siblings were nowhere around, man, I felt special. And I would milk it for everything I, I could get. I, I'd ask Dad, one time I asked him so many questions, he, he stuffed something in my mouth. He was so tired of answering questions. And I think he grabbed a sock or something. Man, he stuffed, I mean, he gagged me. He said, son, I want you to sit here and just listen. Quit asking so many questions. And then we sat there, and he never said a word. And I couldn't say anything. And so we just sat there. And we just sat there. But, man, I felt special because I was sitting with my daddy without my siblings around. Many times I'd sit out there. You know, my dad, was a, he smoked pell-mell cigarettes, you know, the unfiltered, you know, unedited kind. And every time I, every time I smell a pell-mell, I think of my daddy. And he would sit there on the back porch smoking his pell-mell. And I would sit right next to him, breathing secondhand smoke and loving every minute of it. It's a wonder I didn't grow up smoking cigarettes. But that's because he said he'd kill me if I did. And to me, that wasn't a contradiction. You know, it just told me that, you know, Daddy doesn't want me doing this. And he tried many times to stop it himself, and eventually he did stop smoking. But, but uh, you know, those were my special moments. And my dad would tell me stories, and he would talk about, he would talk about things that, I, that to this day I was the only one that heard because my siblings weren't there. And so when we get together, we talk about daddy. We talk about things daddy said. We talk about stories daddy told. We talk about experiences that we had with daddy. And we look at each other and say, man, I didn't know that. He never told me that. He never did that with me. And we would just kind of look at each other in bewilderment and say, we're talking about the same daddy. But we all had a different perspective on him because we all had our own experiences. And, you know, that's what church is, people. Church is us having our times alone with daddy, God, and coming together and sharing what we learned what we experienced and what he, saw, he said and showed to us and, and what we did together. Amen. There's not going to be any pell-mell stories, but there's going to be some stories. Amen. It's called testimonies. Praise God. I'll guarantee you if you grew up in a home with multiple children that you've got different perspectives on your daddy than anybody else in that family. I knew a physicist. Yeah. I actually knew a physicist. Y'all know what a physicist is? 
it's a scientific brainiac. You know, they study stuff, you know, like, you know, physics. They study the nature of the universe. They study how things actually work, the mechanics of how things work. And I was talking to this physicist about God. And this particular physicist told me, he says, if you're a true scientist, you can't help but believe in God. Because physics defies any other explanation. And, and I said, well, what can physics tell us about God? And he looked at me and he said, he said, it depends on your perspective. And, and this is something he explained to me, and this might bless you. Um, he said that, that uh, uh, God is a multidimensional God. And I said, yeah. He said, you know what that means? And I said, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really rough when you're talking to somebody way smarter than you. I said, tell me what it means. And he said, well, let's just, let, let's just think of it this way. The world that we live in is, is one of those dimensions. It's one of the many dimensions there are in the universe. Our time, our space is, is one dimension. It's like this piece of paper right here. He said, just imagine this, this, is, this is where you live. This, you're, you're on this flat piece of paper. Can y'all imagine this? Can you imagine? This is your life, flat, piece of paper, all right? And God is, out, God is everywhere. He's all around this piece of paper. He's under it. He's over it. He's, he's in it. He's in our dimension. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. That's one of his attributes, omnipresent. God's everywhere. He's in every, he's in every dispensation of time, and he's in every uh, dimension. We're, we're flat. God's everywhere. God's full. He's full. We're flat. He's full. All right? And what we know about God is how God chooses to reveal himself in our, in our, in our flatness. And he said, just, just imagine God's finger. Everybody hold your finger up. Say, that's the finger of God. Now, what that means is, that's just part of him. You've got a finger, but you've got a whole body attached to it, right? And look at the tip of your finger. Look, look at that tip of your finger. That's just the beginning of the finger. It's just the beginning of who you are, and it's just the beginning of God. All right? And so when God, when we see God, when we know God, it's when God takes his finger and touches that flat plane that is called your life. Right? And what you know about God is revealed to you on the tip of his finger. So how much do we really know about God? <laughs> Those of you who think you know God pretty well, you got him all figured out. No, you, at most, you've just seen the tip of his finger. And he'll reveal, he reveal himself to one person with that finger. He might reveal himself to the other person with a different finger. He might reveal himself to somebody with a thumb. He might decide to put his elbow. 
But no one person knows God fully. Only to the degree that God has shown himself to us. That's why it's so precious when the scripture says that God has revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? Because you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. See, Jesus wasn't just a fingertip. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was the full expression. So if you want to know God, you've got to know Jesus. I can't tell you how many people, uh, young and old, have asked me, how can I really know God? Because uh, many people feel like they're limited to this, this, this much knowledge of God. But we can know more. We'll never know Him fully. I don't think we will ever. It'll take eternity to know God in His fullness. But we can come to a greater understanding of God just by watching Jesus. I tell them, I say, you've got, a, you've got a section in your Bible called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. How many of you can say it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Say it. Those are the Gospels. Now, the Gospels contain the, the, uh, the perspective of four different individuals. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and guess who? John. Four men. Four men. Matthew and, and, and John were apostles. Mark and Luke were, were uh, disciples. But they all had the same testimony as having known Jesus in the flesh. Having touched him, having handled him with their hands, having listened with their natural ears and seen him with their eyes. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And God, at different times in the history of the early church, had these men sit down and write their perspective on who Jesus was. And so we've got, we've got like all four sides of Jesus. We've got Matthew's perspective, John's perspective, Luke's perspective, and Mark. Mark. And so, you know, depending on who you're reading, you, you, see, you see different things. Some things you see, uh, uh, they have the, some of the same stories. And some of them have stories that none of the others have. Like John talks about things none of the others talk about. And so does Luke. And so I mean, it's like, it's like you get a full 360-degree view of Jesus from those four books. So you need to read all four of them. And in those four books, you have the life and times of Jesus Christ on earth. You even have the words of Jesus. Many Bibles uh, print the words of Jesus in red letters. Like this one I've got right here. Every, every word on this page is in red letters. You can almost read it from there because this is giant print. <laughs> Amen? And, and uh, look at that. <laughs> it's all red. And, and those, are the, those are words recorded by these men that came from the very lips of Jesus. And Jesus is saying in here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I want to see Jesus, right? 
Now, I haven't seen Jesus with these natural eyes, but I have followed him very closely through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I told our granddaughter this just the other day because she was asking me that very question. How can I know God better? How can I know God? And I, say, I told her, I said, put yourself in the story. When you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just put your sandals on, get you a robe around you, throw some dirt on you. Amen? Eat grapes and figs and pretend like you're there. And you're one of these disciples. And you're sitting there, and Jesus is up there on a rock, and he's talking. And you're sitting right down there on the front rock you know, on the front row, and you're listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth, and you just, you just feel the air around you and feel and, and, and just, just experience it while you're, while you're reading it, experience it, you know. You do that when you read novels. You put yourself in the picture. You imagine, you know, that you're one of, you know, King Arthur's knights, you know, and you've got a, you've got a spear, you've got a, armor, you've got the little visor, you know, and you just kind of imagine you're there, or maybe you imagine you're Batman's uh, sidekick, you're Robin, you're, no, that's, yeah, and uh, you kind of put yourself in the scene. How many of you have an imagination that's still strong enough you can put yourself in the picture? And, and uh, I, I told this, you know, this 16-year-old girl, I said, you can, you can put yourself in the scene, and then you just follow Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't, don't worry about all this other stuff going on. Just follow Jesus. Watch how he acts. Watch how he responds. Watch how he behaves. Watch and listen to what he says. And watch what he does in certain circumstances. Like when he's around sick people. Watch how he acts when he's around sick people. Watch what he does at funerals. You know, he wrecked every funeral he ever went to. Well, at least those that are recorded in the Bible. How do I mean he wrecked them? He raised a dead person back to life. That, that's how our God... See, he, Jesus is revealing to us our God. He's, revealing, he, he's showing us our Father. Because he, he said this. He said, there's not one single thing that I do that I don't see my father do it first. So you know what he's saying? He said, I'm watching my father. And whatever I see my father do, I mimic, I imitate, I do it. And then he says, the works that I do, if you believe in me, you will do them also. You know what he's saying? He said, I hereby give you license to do what you see me do that I saw my father do. Because if you do what you see me do, then you're doing what my father do. Amen? And you're acting like a chip off the old block. Galatians 5 says, be imitators of God as dear children. Galatians 5.1. Imitator means uh, mimics. Be little mimics. Be little gods. 
Be little gods. Be little Jesuses. Amen? So your revelation of our Father depends on what you know about Jesus. Jesus said, you, can't, you cannot access my Father without me. He said, he said, John 14, 6, I am what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. You see, Buddha's not going to teach you anything about Father God. You'll learn some devilish stuff. Muhammad, for sure. Muhammad teaches you how to be hateful, teaches you how to kill, teaches you how to treat other people uh, 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 in horrible ways. The word love does not even occur in the Koran. See, Muhammad's God is not the same God we serve. I don't care what people say, folks. Islam's God is not our God. Islam's God is a devil. They call him Allah. Makes it sound like something holy. But he's not our God. How do I know that? I know that because what I do know about God doesn't jive with what they teach about their God. Amen. Same way, same way with Mormons. Their Jesus Christ, you know, their church is called the, the Church of the Latter, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Saints. Latter, whatever. You know, well, their Jesus Christ is not my Jesus. How do I know? Because their Jesus has a brother named Lucifer. Lucifer is not, was not. Never was, never will be the brother of Jesus Christ. But their Jesus, their Jesus is the son of Adam and the brother of Lucifer. So they don't even know the Adam we know about. They sure don't know the Lucifer we know about. And their Jesus is not our Jesus. Now, they might be able to smile with the whitest teeth and leave, leave, live the cleanest life, and they might make good neighbors. But their Jesus is not our Jesus. Therefore, their Father is not our Father. Neither is Buddha. Neither is Confucius. Confucius is confusion. I mean... And how about the billion gods of the Hindu religion? They worship cows. They worship, they worship the birds that ride on the cow's back and eat the fleas off of their backs. They worship the flies on the cow's turd on the ground. They worship snakes. They worship trees. Anything that has any life in it at all, they worship it. And yet, they totally disregard human life. Something wrong with that picture. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody here want to be Hindu? Anybody here want to be Muslim? The... These are growing religions in the world. Man, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be what I am. A follower of Jesus Christ, praise God. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. This same chapter. 
This is, this is our father. He says, I mean, the audacity of being able to live your life like he's suggesting here. Listen to what he says. Verse 31, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore take no thought, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now that doesn't mean just get up, take your shower, walk out into the world naked and hungry. He's, that word take no thought means don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't be concerned. Don't be afraid. Don't be thinking, what are we going to eat? You know what that, you know what that does for me? It, it makes me not a hoarder. It makes me not a hoarder. See, I'm not one of these people that runs down to the supermarket every time a hurricane comes on and buy up all the eggs and buy up all the milk and, and buy up all the toilet paper. Hello? Because, yeah, where are you going to put it? <laughs> or what shall we drink? Now, I like drinking, I like drinking, you know, spring water, fresh spring water or filtered water. You know, because I don't want to drink toilet paper and bits of pieces of trash, you know. I, li I like my water filtered. But, you know, if I had, did not have access to clean water, filtered water, I wouldn't be afraid to drink tap water. Amen. I don't want to make a habit of it because, you know, I, I, I want to be clean. But I'm not worried about it. I was in a doctor's office the other day, and I was sitting by a water jug, one of those coolers, sitting there. Man, I sat there for 45 minutes for a, a three-minute visit to the doctor. And uh, I thought, man, if I made people wait that long to get in church, maybe we'd have more people. Because that doctor's office was full. People paying to go there. And the doctor comes out. Uh, you know, I had to move my feet. And, and she comes out with a cup, uh, you know, a thermos, and she, she starts filling her cup with that water from that Zephyr Hills bottle. And I said, yeah, that, that, that's kind of water we, we drink. She said, well, I wouldn't drink anything else. I said, you wouldn't? I said, what if you were out in the desert? And you didn't have your little thermos, and you didn't have your jug of Zephyr Hills. And you came upon a little pool of water out in the middle of the desert. Would you drink that? Oh, no, 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 no. He's, she said, I just don't put myself in those situations. <laughs> I thought, this is the one that cut on my eye. Okay, anyway, but I had fun with her. How many of y'all have fun at the doctor's office? Hey, Amen. I, I, I have fun with them. Praise God. Where was I? Oh, don't worry about what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't stand in front of the closet and go, mm, 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 should I wear blue? Should I wear black? Should I wear red? Should... Just grab something and put it on. Amen. That's what, how some of you do it, I know. <laughs> Amen. Some folks don't even worry about coordinating and things like that. They just, they just grab it and go. 
You've seen these, you've seen these people have these closets and every, everything in the closet. Gray suit, gray suit, gray suit, gray suit, gray suit. Those are people that don't worry. They don't, they don't waste any time worrying about, you know, but what if, what if you didn't have any clothes? The Bible says God would clothe you. Adam and Eve didn't have any clothes. They were naked. But God made them coats of skin. Can you say amen? amen? For all these things do the Gentiles, the sinners, the heathen, the people who don't claim God as their father. All these things they seek for. And then he says, don't worry about these things for your, everybody say your. your. See, your means mine. Your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. God knows I have need of these things. And that's all he says about it. No, it isn't. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what are we supposed to be seeking? We're supposed to be seeking him and the things that pertain to him. Why? So that we can obtain them. You seek something so you can have it. You seek something so you can possess it. You seek something so you can get it. There are some things that God wants us to be concerned about getting. His kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? On earth. His righteousness. Amen? His kingdom, his righteousness. He himself. If we'll seek these things first... Look at what he says next. And all these things shall be added unto you. What's that? What, what things? What things are going to be added unto me? What I, what I need to eat, what I need to drink, and what I need to wear will be added to me. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Y'all like my new slacks? See those new, new pants? They got a crease in them and everything. They were added to me this week. Yeah. My wife got them for me for Father's Day. She got me three pair. Amen. And, and they were too long for my short legs. So they were taken down to the uh, alterations place. $45 to alter three pants to fit my short legs. All, all for Father's Day. Just added to me. She paid for them. She paid for them. Praise God. So, you know, I wasn't worried about it. I, I didn't spend any time at all worrying about these pants. And then, poof, they just appeared. Because I'm such a great father. Hallelujah. How come? Because I followed the Father in heaven. Amen. You see, He's unlimited. Something about our Heavenly Father is unlimited. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, He doesn't want us to be sitting around wasting our time trying to think of something too hard for Him. It's a rhetorical question. God knows the answer already. He just wants to know if we know the answer. What's the answer? Is there anything too hard for God? No. no. 
So what are we worried about? What are you worried about? There's nothing God cannot do. And, and Romans chapter 8 says there's nothing He will not do for you. For He will withhold no good thing from them who walk uprightly before Him. That's Romans 8 something. Praise God. You know, I've got three pages of notes here, and I've only, I've only, I've only covered half a page. <laughs> it just That's the nature of God. You just... There's so much you can say about him, you never get through. But if you want to know him, follow Jesus. If you want to experience him, follow Jesus. If you want access to him, follow Jesus. If you want to be in his care, follow Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I want you to, I want you to turn into the, to the Old Testament for a moment. And... Uh, I want you to look at uh, Psalm 3. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, today, it is my favorite psalm. Today, I, I, this, this is like a father's psalm. But I, I want you to, I want you to, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Is that all right with you? King James Bible, Psalm 3. This is a psalm of David. He wrote this when he was running from his son Absalom. Absalom wanted to be king, and he was going to kill David. Absalom was going to kill his earthly father in order to be king. Obviously, he wasn't seeking the heavenly father. He was seeking his earthly father to kill him. And David had been run out of Jerusalem and he was like in exile. And he was running from Absalom and his army. Notice what David says. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. Selah means, think about that. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. See, if you can claim God as your father, he'll knock the teeth out of your enemy. What do you think of that? He'll get violent on your enemy. Yeah, the God of heaven, our loving heavenly Father, will smack the jaws of your enemy so hard that it breaks his teeth. Hmm. It says here, he smote him on the cheekbone. 
smote my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. See, you call upon the name of your heavenly father, he'll come rescue you, but he'll, he'll open a can of whoop you know what on the, on the enemy. Amen? Is that all right? I got, well, I got to read another one. Y'all didn't shout on that one. Okay, hang on. This, this one's in the Passion Translation. This will get you passionate. Psalm 91. Just two verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I preached on that recently. Psalm 91, verse 14 in the Passion Translation. Listen to what it says. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover. See, God wants us to really love him. I will greatly protect you. How's God going to protect you? Greatly. I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray. And you will find and feel my presence even of your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. That's my daddy. That's my heavenly father. He's going to set, he said, if, if, I, if I will just be one of his great lovers, if I, if I just love on him with all my heart, he'll set me right in front of his face. You know what that means? He's going to watch me carefully. <laughs> and he's not going to let anything hurt me. If he just sees that I have a need, he'll automatically supply it. Praise God. 